0: Do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Father, we ask for your blessing this morning, and we ask that just as you sent your Holy Spirit or as Jesus says he was going to send the Holy Spirit to help us to understand your word, would you please this morning help us to understand such a vital and important person the third person of the Trinity, help us to understand better the Holy Spirit? Would you help us to be filled with the Spirit and not grieve or quench the Spirit? Would you help us to properly understand who the Spirit is and what the Spirit does in the life of your children? God, please, We want more of You, not less. We want to experience You in such a way where we fall to our knees in awe like Isaiah and say, woe is me who has unclean lips. And so we pray this to You. Amen. Now if you remember where we've been, we've been going through this letter that Paul has written to Ephesus, and last week what we saw is the fifth exhortation, the fifth encouragement to walk. The Christian faith, when you are confronted with the reality of sin and the love of God and you're led to repentance and faith in Jesus, forces you to put on your walking shoes. The Christian faith is not a passive religion. When you are confronted with this reality of God's holiness and man's sinfulness, and you repent and believe, it causes you to submit. And Paul, in five different ways, calls this church, and he calls us, 21st century Christians, to walk. And specifically, in verse 15, We saw him say, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. So he's calling the church, he's calling Christians to walk with wisdom. And to walk with wisdom, according to Paul, means to walk in God's will. It's not this, should I go to this school or that school? God's will for his children is to walk in obedience according to his word. It's to submit to God. It's not to just acknowledge Jesus as Savior, but it's to acknowledge Jesus as Lord. And to say, Jesus, you direct my paths. This is what it's like to walk as a wise person. But what we also saw is that in order to walk with wisdom, we need the Spirit. We must be filled with the Spirit. And this is what we'll be looking at today, Paul's command. This is what it is. Paul's command to this church to be filled with the Spirit. Or a way to translate it, as I mentioned last week, there's a lot of different ways that the Greek can unfold this phrase. The most literal way that you could phrase this section of what Paul is saying is but being or but be being kept filled with the spirit. And so there are people who will ask the question Does this mean that when I'm full of the Spirit that I desire to walk in holiness or godliness? Or does walking in godliness and holiness cause me to be filled with the Spirit? And the answer is yes. It's not an either-or, but it's a both-and. And we'll see why in just a bit. But before we move any further, I want to just ask a question. As I was preparing this passage, this question just kept on coming to the front of my mind. And it might sound a a bit morbid for us this morning, but I think it's an important question that we must wrestle with. It's this. What kills... A church. What's the ultimate demise and destruction of a church? If you were to go on Google and look up that question, like I did, you'll be surprised by the answers. What kills a church uh, is... Poor leadership. Poor leadership casting visions. It's people unwilling to change. It's people unwilling to even consider to change. It's people who are unwilling to evangelize. It's people who are unwilling to do outreach. It's people who are unwilling to be friendly at church. And what was interesting as I was looking this up was not one person in the interwebs said a church not filled with the Spirit is a dead church. Does that not show us the lack of understanding of the role that the Holy Spirit plays. There is much confusion on the third person of the Trinity. And what I'd like to propose this morning to us is this. We, the church must regularly fill ourselves with the Spirit and not coast into the kingdom of God. We as a church must regularly fill ourselves with the Spirit and not coast into the kingdom of God. This is the reality of the church, is that a Christian is a person who is filled with the Spirit. This is what marks the Christian. This is what sets us apart in this world, is that we are filled with the Spirit. So before we really get into the details of this, I I, I want us to better understand what Paul doesn't mean right here in this verse when he says, but be being kept filled with the Spirit. Here are some things that Paul doesn't mean. Paul doesn't mean that this is some type of of out-of-body existential experience, some type of mystical trance that a person goes through. This is not what Paul means here when he says to be filled with the Spirit. What Paul doesn't mean here is that this is some sort of activation. I was one time at a prayer meeting in a public place when a person proceeded to go up to lead the the public in a time of prayer, and before this person led prayer, they said, let's activate the Spirit, please go ahead, start doing the shimmy with me. As this person started kind of dancing back and forth, they started then chanting something as if they could enact or activate the Spirit. This is not what Paul means here. It's not an activation that takes place. What Paul doesn't mean here is what he means in other places of being baptized by the Spirit. This is a different thing than being filled with the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit does not mean speaking in tongues as if that is the true sign that you have the Spirit in you. This is not what Paul here is talking about when he is talking about being filled with the Spirit. So then what does Paul mean here? Well, I believe... What Paul is trying to convey is simply what Christ was trying to convey to Nicodemus. That we must be born again, that we must be born of the Spirit. This is not something that we can conjure up or work for. We see in Acts as Simon the magician, he thought, if I could just pay for this, then I could have it. And he was sadly mistaken. And oftentimes we believe that if we can just do these certain works and we can conjure up or we can pay for the Spirit. This isn't what Paul means. He he means that we must be born of the Spirit. That of which is born of the Spirit is has the spirit but that is born of the flesh is the flesh we do not work for this the only way to be filled with the spirit is our trust in christ and in fact this this spirit that we receive is christ's gift to the church We see how, in a few ways, Jesus tells his disciples that he will send the Spirit to be a helper so that they would understand the kingdom of God and what he has said. We also see that Christ says that the Spirit is sent to be the comforter for us. As Paul has already mentioned, the Spirit has been sent to seal us for the day of redemption. What, what this simply means is that once you repent, or once you have the Spirit in you, you are set apart for the day of redemption. You have the mark, you have the sign, the seal, that until Christ comes back, He will collect His people. That if you are Christ's, you are Christ's. And if you have the sign and the seal of the Spirit in you, then you will not be plucked as a song that we sing from the Father's hand. We must be filled with the Spirit. We must be filled with the Spirit because if we are not filled with the Spirit, then on the day of judgment, when we are kept accountable for our works, we will be guilty. God's divine wrath will be poured out on us. It doesn't matter how many good works you have done. It doesn't even matter if you say, I've gone to these Bible studies. I've attended church all my life. I've fed the homeless. I've clothed the poor. If the Spirit has not filled you, Then on the day of judgment day, Jesus will look at you and say, Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness, for I never knew you. So then, how may we know that we are filled with the Spirit? Well, a good indicator of being filled with the Spirit is your trust in Christ confirms it. There's this popular idea that if you trust in Jesus, that's when you receive the Spirit. But if that's the case, then that would be a work of our own. Your trust or your faith in Jesus is a confirmation that you are filled with the Spirit. The Spirit fills you and enables you to trust in Jesus. Those who don't trust in Jesus or those who don't have the Spirit in them will not trust in Jesus. Likewise, those who are filled with the Spirit have this desire to abide with Christ. At least in 1 John chapter 4, This is what John tells his readers. That abiding abiding with Christ reveals, it displays, it shows that the Spirit has filled you. And as Paul has shown us in chapters 4 and 5 so far, a walking, a walking worthy of the manner of the gospel with which we have been called to displays that we are filled with the Spirit. But this is where, as Christians, we must be careful. Because sometimes we hear this amazing gospel. We see the love of the Father. We read passages such as John 3.16 or or we, we look to what John says in 1 John. But in this is love, not that we have loved him, but that he loved us first by sending his son as a sacrifice for our sins. And we are amazed by this and we are captured by this. And yet then we say to ourselves, then I can coast into the kingdom. It's by grace alone, some of us say, and then we say, well, just in case if I become too legalistic, let me not take sanctification as serious. We have no problem shouting that God has saved us by grace alone, but then we have a harder time of wanting to walk in godliness and holiness because it might be a little difficult as an old athlete who used to put his body through torture just to win a medal at the end of a season. I wonder how many of us would be okay with putting our bodies and minds through a little bit of hardness for the sake of a promotion or a pay raise or to win that medal at the end of the season. And yet, when we look at our running the race of the Christian life, we don't expect it to be very hard or difficult. I think we've been sadly confused into believing that there is such thing as a neutrality when you walk as a Christian. that we no longer read Galatians 5 and believe what the words actually say. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the thing that you want to do. The spirit and the flesh are against each other. They're They're enemies. They're rivals. And what this means is that there is no neutrality as a Christian. You are either walking into the Spirit, or you are walking in the flesh. Or we could say it like this. We are either being filled, or we are filling ourselves with the Spirit, or we are filling ourselves with sin. We are either seeking in our lives to glorify God or we are seeking in our lives to glorify ourselves. There is no neutrality. When you are on the lawnmower or you are pushing it, you are either seeking to glorify God in that moment or glorify yourself. When you are disciplining your child, you are either seeking to glorify God or yourself. When you are trying to make a sale, You are seeking to glorify God or yourself. There is no neutrality here. The the things of the Spirit are against the things of the flesh, and the flesh is against the Spirit. It is as simple as that. And at times we champion, as Christians, grace alone, and we do not realize this fundamental truth. And we don't understand the consequences of this truth as Christians. We forget what Paul has already said to us in chapter 4, that it is possible to grieve the Holy Spirit, to make the Holy Spirit downcast, to make Him low and sad. Or as Paul says to the Thessalonians, there is a real possibility that we can quench the Spirit. When we are filling ourselves with sin, when we are walking in the flesh, we are grieving the third person of the Trinity. We are actually making the third person of the Trinity sad. And just as in the Old Testament, if you're familiar with what happened in 1 Samuel, as the word of the Lord was quiet to the people, There was a child's name, or there was a child who was named Ichabod, which means the glory of God has departed. The glory of God has withdrawn. Now, I must say that we need to be reminded here of a very important truth. That is that when Paul talks about grieving the Spirit, he does not say that you can lose the Spirit. He's very quick to remind us and do not grieve the Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. But we must be confronted with the reality that if we as Christians are filling ourselves up with sin and not the Spirit and we grieve the Spirit, then it is a reality that God will withdraw. He may not fully leave us, but He will withdraw. How can I be certain of this? If we look to Revelation chapter 2, we will see what Jesus says to the church in Ephesus. Jesus tells this church, first and foremost, well done. You have all of the knowledge. You guys have mastered all of the doctrine. You understand that it's by grace alone through faith alone. You've done it. Well done. You know doctrine so well that when the false apostles came, you were able to sniff them out quicker than any bloodhound dog. Well done. Good job. But I have this against you. Although you know this doctrine, you've been mastered by this theology, you have lost your first love. You have relied on your intellectualism for your security. You've relied on the finer points of doctrine to bring you hope, to fill you up. You have lost your first love. You no longer love the God that Paul preached to you. So here's where we as a church in the 21st century are confronted with. Has the glory of God departed from community church? Has the Spirit withdrawn Himself because we've been consumed with filling ourselves with sin or we've been tricked and lulled into thinking that there is neutrality in this lifetime? Have we relied on a form of intellectualism? Rationalizing why we are mature Christians? Or have we filled and have we been keeping ourselves filled regularly with the Spirit? What does this look like? God gives us the means to be kept filled with the Spirit. And so what does this look like? We've already seen what this doesn't mean and what this doesn't look like, but I think there are means that God has provided for his children to be kept filled with the Spirit. And one of those means, the first means, we see this clearly in the first three chapters that Paul has written. The first one at the end of chapter 1 and the second one at the end of chapter 3, prayer. Paul prays that this church would be filled with the Spirit, that they would experience the fullness of Christ, that they would not settle for just a smidge of who Christ is, but that they would experience the fullness of Christ. Chapter 3, that they would experience the fullness of who God is. Those who are being kept filled with the Spirit are those who are dependent upon God in prayer. Are you dependent upon God in prayer? Are you pleading with God every morning as you wake up? I know that I've just scratched the surface with you, God, but fill me more with the fullness of Christ. What about us as a church? How often do we plead with the Lord? How often do we plead with God together as a body to have the fullness of Christ richly dwell here? The next means of this, as Paul has said, listed out for us underneath being kept filled with the Spirit is that we address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We sing to one another. This is why the singing on Sunday should not resemble that of a concert. Because as we sing to one another, we are encouraging one another and keeping one another filled with the Spirit. And how are we to do this? Well, this melody is to be to the Lord. So what we sing is as crucial. And it comes from our hearts. No Christian should ever have the excuse of saying, I'm just not a good singer, therefore I don't sing. Some of us are not naturally gifted singers. And some of us are. It doesn't matter to God who is gifted in singing and who is not. What matters is that we sing spiritual songs from the heart. The next means that Paul gives us is giving thanks to our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The person who is being kept filled with the Spirit is the person who is constantly giving thanks to the Lord. It's the person who's sitting outside during a windy day and watching the trees dance in the wind and they can't help but say, Thank you, Lord. It's the one who sees a sunrise or sunset and is moved and says, thank you, Lord, for allowing me to experience this. Are you consistently giving thanks to the Lord as a means of keeping yourself full of the Spirit? The next one that He gives us is by submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Keeping one another accountable. Not neglecting or forsaking the assembly of the gathering. This is a means of being kept full of the Spirit, but we also see other places like drinking from the everlasting water, continuing to commune with Jesus, continuing to look to Jesus, see what he says, and obey. Or as David tells us in Psalm 1, to be like a tree that is planted firmly next to a spring of water. If we are to be kept filled with the Spirit, then we must be people of God's Word, understanding more of the fullness of who God is. How often do you pick up your Bible and read it to know God? And how often do you pick up your Bible because you need a little pick-me-up and to find a verse that might just help you with the day? What if us looking to see how great God is is what we need to get through our day? The last means of being kept filled with the Spirit is what Paul has already said elsewhere by walking in the fruits of the Spirit seeking to be sanctified and refined in the fruits of the Spirit. Which, brothers, sisters, let me tell you this, you cannot be sanctified in the fruit of the Spirit if you are isolating yourself from the body. What this boils down to, and what Paul is calling this church to do, is to take sanctification serious. is to not coast to the kingdom, but instead realize that there is more of Christ for us to experience in this lifetime, not less. Do you realize that right now, Christ is desiring a deeper relationship with you? That He wants to commune with you? The means of this is if we take our sanctification serious or not. Church, we must be regularly filling ourselves with the Spirit and not coast into the kingdom. Now, there are five possible heart responses to what I'm saying. You may be here this morning. And you may be saying in your heart, you're advocating for legalism and dressing it up as sanctification. How dare you? Don't you know that there's grace and forgiveness? Can't I just continue to strive? Can't I just continue to straddle and put one foot in the church and one foot in this world? God is love. The Bible says that. This I would speak directly to the lukewarm Christian who wants to be in this world and of this world. There is no getting into the kingdom straddling the line. There is no getting into the kingdom just by saying, God loves me, which yes, He does, but therefore I don't need to obey Him. The next person that I would like to address specifically, or the the heart response, is those that may be prone to legalism. Because then the, the reaction from the lukewarm Christian quite possibly could be legalism. Check, now I have all of these things to do so that way I may be more righteous. I can be really righteous in this lifetime. I can really set myself apart from all other Christians and I can lay down this and say, see God, look at how good I was compared to everybody else. Of course you must accept me. Isn't this the downfall of the Pharisees? Where they started looking to their own hearts, their own strength, because the truth is, Mr. or Mrs. Legalist, we will not walk the Christian life perfectly. We will mess up and fall. And at times it might be a massive failure. And so we must not rely on our own righteousness because if you expect to take your own righteousness to the Lord, He will look at it and say, I've seen filthy rags cleaner than these. Which leads me to the next heart response that I want to specifically address. And that might be those of those who are downcast. Those who are being led to think, I've done all of these things. According to you, I'm filling myself with the Spirit, and yet I am downcast. I've experienced this trial, and I don't know where this trial has come, so obviously God must be disappointed in me. He must be punishing me. I must have grieved the Spirit somehow. And to you, I would like to say, there are times in the Christian walk where our Father tests us, and He refines us, purer than any gold man could ever find. And so it may not be that you have grieved the Spirit. It may be that He wants to refine your faith. And so it's not that He is displeased with you. In fact, He is pleased enough to refine you. Which leads me to the fourth heart response that I want to address. And that's the backslidden. The one who is going right now in their hearts. God's not looking. I'll sin again and get away with it. If this is you, God is looking. And if the Spirit of God has filled you, then He is closer to you than you could ever possibly imagine. Like the prodigal son realize right now that your sin will not fill you up. Like the prodigal son realize that the pleasures in the flesh of this world will not bring you satisfaction. Like the prodigal son realize that you have a heavenly father who is waiting for you with arms open wide, ready to receive you and robe you and put a ring on your finger and welcome you with joy. Come back to your first love and quit drinking from empty cisterns. And to the last person I would like to address, the last heart response is that of faithful. Those who are faithfully filling themselves up with the Spirit and asking themselves or thinking, well, nothing extraordinary is happening. Am I doing this wrong? Know this, that the Christian life is often walked in the plains, in the flat hills, or the flat, flatness of the plains. Hardly is the Christian life lived at the mountaintops or in the valleys. Continue pressing on in faithfulness, Submitting yourself to God's Word. There's nothing in this life that is more extraordinary than the Christian walk. Why is that? Because we dwell with the Lord. And it is better to dwell with the Lord than anyone or anything else. And the Spirit which fills us makes this possible day after day to taste and see over and over and over that the Lord is good. if we pursue being filled with the Spirit, it will draw us closer to God. It will lead you to a greater communion and fellowship with our Heavenly Father. It will grow our faith and trust. And we will grow in the fruits of of the Spirit. So here is my last question Are we a church? Are we a people filling ourselves with the Spirit? Or are we on a slow decline to death? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for filling us with your Spirit. And if there are those who are feeling conviction from your Spirit, would you cause them to respond right now instead of waiting? Help them to see their need for you. We pray this, thanking you for your Son, Jesus. Amen.